All right. Super excited. I have loved summer salad suppers and listening to the stories because I love that God has written all of us a story and it's written to bring him glory. And I love to get to hear about the different ways God is using each and every one of us in his kingdom. Okay, I'm going to make a couple announcements and then I'm going to introduce Hannah. One, um, in case you've missed it, this Sunday is the 4th of July. And so, <laughs> I'm sure you didn't miss that. But um, we are going to have a little um, old-fashioned picnic outside after church. So if you want to stick around, we would love for you to stick around. We're going to have fried chicken. And if you have children, there'll be two different bouncy houses, nine square in the air, cornhole, watermelon. I mean, you know, whatever. It'll be fun. So stick around if you're in town for that. And then also, I was just going to tell you all about Sunday school since the regular Sunday school programming ended on 627. And then we have no Sunday school this Sunday for July 4th, just one service at 1030. And then starting on the 11th through August 8th. Okay. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, I should know that. But we are going to do family style Sunday school. It's called one anothering. But when you hear family style, I don't want you to think just families. I want you to think church family. What we mean when we say family style is we mean sit around a table. Like have you ever eaten at a family style restaurant? I'm sure you have. And all the sides are out and you're sitting with a bunch of people and you're sharing things. So think that style. So there will be kids in here and there will be all sorts of different ages in here. And we're all going to sit around tables together and we're going to hear awesome stories out of the Bible that are exciting and fun. And some are a little funny. And there is going to be interactive ways that we can talk with one another over the scriptures together. And there's going to be fellowship at the beginning and there's going to be fellowship at the end. So the main goal is for us as a church family to come together um, just during July and the beginning of August to talk about God's word together and fellowship together. So Hannah is our speaker today. Woo-woo! Hannah is married to Cole. Um, how long have y'all been at Covenant? Since 2018. 2018. She has and Baker and I was like, all I really remember what I wanted to say is that she's going to talk on being a recovering know-it-all. I thought that was like the greatest thing ever because I don't know. Maybe some other people struggle with that. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to pray for you real quick, and then you can come up. Um, dear Jesus, thank you that you have called us by name, that you have called Hannah by name, and that you have written this beautiful story for her. And um, we thank you that she is going to share it with us. And we ask that um, you would continue to bless her and work in her life, and that you would work in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit um, day by day, making us more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, everybody. I really am so excited. Um, Like Laura said, my name is Hannah Pearson. My husband, Cole, and I have been members at Covenant since 2018 when we moved back to Birmingham from Boston. Um, Since joining Covenant, we welcomed two sons and baptized two sons here, Bear and Baker. Um, When they're on their best behavior, we call them our honeybees. And when things get a little crazy, they're the killer bees. So it all depends on what day it is. We are so thankful to be a part of the Threshold Sunday School class. I'm so excited to see so many Threshold people here tonight. Um, And I'm really looking forward to sharing a little bit about what the Lord has been teaching me recently. As Laura said, I am a recovering know-it-all. So even though I thought I knew everything, the Lord has time and time again shown me just the things that He can teach us. So during quarantine last spring, my dream of getting a dog finally came true. After two years of patiently and not so patiently pleading with Cole to get a dog, he finally gave in, and we got a puppy. Quickly, over time, this puppy grew. Um, He's actually part Newfoundland, so now he's 85 pounds. It was a little bit more than Cole bargained for, but I would say it's probably a testament to how persuasive I can be that he didn't want a dog, and then we got the biggest kind there is. 
But as Shadow got bigger, he started to use his size for this neat little trick where he puts his paws up on front of the gate and just hops over without any effort at all. So he runs away a handful of times, but I've always been able to get him back where he belongs. And there was one time recently that was a little bit harder than the others. And now, at this point, I'm going to make a fairly controversial revelation that might change how some of you feel about me. But as for me, in my house, we eat at Arby's. We love Arby's. We are team curly fry. I know that might be shameful to some, especially at a summer salad supper. Um, It's not quite as dainty as what everyone else eats, but it's a part of the story, and I couldn't leave it out. So in this situation, I was on my way back home from getting Arby's. I wasn't just driving by. I made the effort to go to Arby's and then was on my way back home. And I saw Cole up our street with a leash in his hand and a look on his face. And I knew in that moment that the dog that he never even wanted had run away again. So I pulled out my roast beef sandwich and thought, this might make some good bait and headed up the hill into the woods. So I'm dangling in his face. I'm whistling. I'm talking as sweetly as I can. And I start to think, what a great illustration of the gospel this is, because this roast beef represents how the Lord pursues us and how I'm not even mad at him. I just want him to come home. I want what's best for him. And I can almost hear the chorus of reckless love in my head thinking, look at us go, when all of a sudden I hear, are you okay? Do you need some help? And I turned around and died a thousand slow deaths because it was a neighbor that I hadn't yet met. And there I was, hunched over, sweaty, holding an Arby's bag and roast beef in front of my dog that didn't want to come to me no matter how much I begged. It was the first time I had met that neighbor because we moved in September and then had our second son in November. And so we hadn't been able to meet a lot of the people we wanted to because of it. And it was certainly not the polished first impression that I had in mind. And I was also quickly confronted with the conviction that the safe and comfortable lesson I thought I was learning, where I got to be the hero and I got to play God for my dog, was not the lesson that the Lord was actually trying to share with me. Learning to receive help from others has been something that I've continuously tried to grasp. Sometimes it's a lesson that my head knows, but my heart still flunks the pop quiz. A verse that God has continually used to remind me of his goodness is Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But because I'm a recovering know-it-all, I've often tempted to be rewrite that verse of, I lift my eyes up to the mirror. Where does my help come from? My help comes from me trying just a little bit harder. But the Lord has been gracious to remind me that it's not about me. I learned in grad school that our brains are hardwired for seeking independence. Being able to do things on your own is a sign of healthy development, and in child development especially, it can mark a major milestone. I've seen this more and more as our two-year-old bear is growing up. He'll be working on a puzzle, cramming pieces into places that they just don't go, and all I can think is, hey, buddy, let me help, or ooh, if I could just get this piece here. And he responds, no, mommy, my do, my do. We're still working on grammar. Puzzles are hard. Pronouns are hard. But he, he's telling me loud and clear that he wants to do it on his own. And in this case, it really is best for his development for him to be able to figure it out, for me to step aside and let his little brain work. And I think that's probably what the Lord was doing when I was stomping through the woods with a sandwich in my hand. As we take on new tasks and activities, we're forging new neural pathways in our brain, and every time we repeat that same action, it's starting to become more and more automatic. 
And the beautiful thing is that not only does our help come from the Lord who makes the big heaven and the big earth, but that same God also makes those teeny tiny synapses in our brain that allow us to do these things. It's what allows us to sometimes go on autopilot and our background brain is working when we're simultaneously doing things like scheduling carpool or planning our next meal or sitting at a table with our friends eating salad. But accumulating and accruing knowledge isn't always what's best for us. And sometimes human knowledge can actually get in the way of godly wisdom, especially when we consider how it affects our dependence on the Lord. There's this cycle, right, of when we're introduced to new things, we start to develop our knowledge. And then that knowledge can progress into competence. Once we feel more comfortable, we feel like we've mastered something, we move on to independence. And then ultimately, it's not that far of a jump from independence to pride. I felt this pretty closely when our family lived up in Boston, and I was driving a car on the busiest streets I had ever seen, a bunch of cobblestone one-ways, there were tunnels that went under the harbor, basically the stakes were high, and every time I would get in my car and buckle my seatbelt, I would say, Lord, please protect me, help me get where I'm trying to go, don't let me cause a wreck, I don't want to be on the news, this is not what I want to be known for. But over time, as I started to depend less and less on the GPS, my prayers got shorter, and eventually they stopped. I would buckle my seatbelt, turn on the radio, and and let the windows down. But my dependence on the Lord wasn't any less just because I stopped recognizing it. He was still just as in charge of getting me safely from A to B. His provision was just as present even when I failed to see it. And there are so many moments when we think we know better than the Lord, when we're sure that what we have in mind is better for us than what's playing out in our real life before us. I think about this in the story in Joshua and the story of Jericho. Um, Joshua 6, 1 through 7 says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward. So God put an obstacle in front of his people in order to make them see their very need for him. He had them facing off against a king and a fortress and mighty men of valor. There was no way from a tactical standpoint that Joshua's ragtag group could have ever won in battle. In fact, think about what really would have happened if they had picked up their swords and tried. If they would would have leaned on their own understanding, efforts, or strategies they would have been absolutely demolished. But God asked them instead to march around the city one time a day for six days, and then on the seventh day to parade around it seven times. Now from a human intellectual perspective, we can all agree that what God commanded was probably one of the worst battle plans of all time. And I can just see myself. I would have been lining up, ready to go, and have been handed a trumpet instead of a sword. Do you know how quickly I would have been like, okay, okay, a trumpet, and then we're going to yell? That's it? We're yelling? You don't want to give me a weapon just in case somebody comes out here? I would have second-guessed that all day. I wouldn't have walked with my shoulders back in confidence because I would have thought I absolutely knew better. 
But God was teaching Israel that they must no longer look at life from the vantage point of human wisdom and human strength, because they were now the children of the Lord Almighty. They were no longer an army, they were a part of a kingdom. The world of their weaknesses and limited knowledge was being shown just what true wisdom looks like. And as they walked around Jericho, again, I would have been dragging that trumpet in the dirt like if they had just let me come up with a plan. If anybody had listened to me, we wouldn't look so silly. And again, we're supposed to shout at the end of this. That's how this all wraps up. But God was confronting Israel and through their story, me, with our inability, vulnerability, and ultimate dependency. And he was comforting each of us with the reality that he would be with us whatever we face, whatever obstacle, whatever difficulty, he's going to be right there with us. And it's not about us or whatever plan we hatch on our own. So just like Jericho, this mostly plays out in my life in moments of stress or trouble. In our family, Cole is the calm and I am the storm. He is steady, he's even keeled, and he's able to take whatever life or I throw at him. I don't want people, and sometimes Cole included, to see me struggle, and that's because of my pride. If I find myself in a hole, and the walls are getting higher, and the surface is getting farther and farther away from me, my pride tells me to just keep digging, because at least that's some sort of activity and something I think I can contribute to the situation. But really, oftentimes, the answer is for me to put my shovel down or to hand it to someone else like Cole who might be a better digger. I put on this breezy face all the time of, I don't need help, but then I have this sulky, silent resentment thing when Cole doesn't offer to help. But why would he when I've just finished tying on my Rosie the Riveter bandana and projecting this, yes, we can, I can do it attitude? Of course he's not going to offer to help. But once when we were dating, Cole told me that I reminded him of a duck which seemed like a good way to start a breakup conversation, but luckily it was not. He actually meant it as a compliment, which I'm still a little unsure about, but he said it was something that he had noticed about me as God grew our relationship closer. He said that I was like a duck because on the surface I was calm, but underneath the surface my legs just kept churning. What people could see looked easy, but what they couldn't see was all the effort I was putting in to make something look effortless. When the Lord works to remind me that I needed to look outside of myself for help up to the hills, he also offered me coal. And time after time, he has shown me that coal is a safe place to take my stress and my fear to. He can be a refuge and that by offering my vulnerability to him, I can learn to trust him to be my battle partner in whatever I'm facing. One of the ways that Cole does this is by asking me the question, are you okay? When I'm feeling stressed and I'm upset and something's hard, the last thing I want to do is admit that I'm not okay. So sometimes Cole's timing doesn't feel great. But when the question is right in front of me, I've learned that I have to answer it honestly. And the way that I can do this is by telling Cole, I'm not all, I'm all right, but I'm not okay. I don't know how that started, but that's what I say every time. I'm all right, but I'm not okay. Can you just leave me alone? But instead, that baby step that I'm able to take when I can concede that things aren't going great is actually huge because it offers him the opportunity to enter into my stress and help. And there are so many members of our Threshold class that have offered to help us in so many ways. I think about when we first started going here, we didn't know that many people, but how quickly everyone stepped in and served when things were hard for us. I think about Holly Stigler um, texting me one time of, hey, I just made some bolognese sauce. Do you want me to bring some by? And after a quick Google search of what is bolognese... I said, yes, absolutely, sounds great. Um, because in that moment, I really felt so seen and considered and acknowledged. And I think about as our friends share different prayer requests that they have, 
just being able to hold that space of them saying, I need help, or I need you guys to, to go to battle with me in prayer for this, that creates and, and really provides the environment for the rest of us to be able to share what we're struggling with too. And so thinking about how often we put that face on of everything's okay, or the prayer requests go around and everybody kind of looks around and, oh, I hope somebody else has something. Oh, I, even though we all know we have something too, that hesitancy to share um, is something that as our class breaks that down, it's always been such a rich gift to each of us. And ultimately, it's why our family joined Covenant. We see throughout Scripture in Acts 2, and the early church is really being described, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds of all as any had need. And I remember William Edwards was teaching that week, and I heard that, and I was like, yeah, but how did they know what each other needed? Like, how weird. They're selling everything, and they're just giving it. But how do they know what everybody needs? And the thing that really was clear to me was that they had the ultimate common ground. Because when they had complete dependence on the Lord, it was easy to acknowledge their dependence on one another. We see in Galatians 6, 2 as well, that we're commanded to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so I feel like the first half of that, of carry each other's burdens, I'm like, okay, check, I can do that. I want to be able to do that. And the Lord gives me opportunities. But I have a hard time being able to hand my burden over to someone else. And so when I refuse to open up to others and invite others into my struggle, I'm actually preventing them from fulfilling the law of Christ, all because I want to live up to some arbitrary expectation of who I think I have to be and that I've created for myself. We see in Proverbs 11 that a generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So I'm withholding from others the opportunity for them to be refreshed just because of my pride. I mean, guys, I think it's pretty important. Like, I tried to start this talk with casual neurobiology. That's how important an image might be. And I think as women, we're used to being the caretakers, and we're the ones to shoulder and take everything on. We love stepping in, we love helping, and we're thankful for the chance to serve. But it may be a little harder to be the ones to be served. Personally, as I grew up, I was the caretaker in my family, and so I'm having to unlearn the process of taking things on and then ultimately stressing about every duty, deadline, and detail. For those of us who were part of the Esther study recently, we saw how Esther modeled seeking out help when she went to the king and asked him to spare her people. But I, will, I really will say her efforts of trying to get the setting exactly right and really preparing everything was very very familiar to me, and I'm actually kind of impressed it only took her two banquets to get around to the point. I want to be clear, I'm not comparing her trying to save an entire race of people to the problems that I personally face, but I do think that it can offer a helpful insight for each of us about the fear and anticipation that we have in moments of absolute dependence and surrender. There was a quote that I read recently that I'm really kind of stuck on still. Um, it says, you are afraid of surrender because you don't want to lose control but you never had control. All you had was anxiety. And Peter reminds us to cast our anxieties on the Lord. So at first, when I was standing in the woods holding my RV sandwich, and my dog just wouldn't come to me, which, based on his survival instincts, why would, I certainly looked like a predator, so why would he come to me in that moment? But in that moment, when my neighbor asked me if I needed help, all I wanted to say was, no, no, I'm fine. I wanted to be breezy. We're fine. Everything's fine. But the reality of the situation was we weren't even close to fine. And her seeing me in that moment, at first it felt so shameful. It felt so violating of, I need to hide. I need to get it together. She's caught me. Because I don't know her like I know Cole or like I know my threshold community. 
I don't have those years or even the moments of building trust and building togetherness. But because she had been allowed to see that moment, she was able to offer help. I would have never, never asked her for help. I would have choked on the words, and they would have tasted bitter coming out of my mouth. But the Lord knew that was exactly what I needed. And so even though I thought I knew what the Lord was doing, again, I was like, oh, I'm killing it, this beef, the gospel, just in a nice little wrapped up foil. He reminded me that I didn't have a clue and that that was a good thing. He was using that neighbor, the one I didn't want to see and was afraid of, to crack open my idol of control and my idol of independence. And he used her to remind me of what we're meant to do for each other as his people. So when you're in the thick of it, I hope that this little talk has been a way to help you because it's certainly been helpful to me as I remember that you, my sisters, are here and made to help me. I hope that these words can serve each of you by encouraging you in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil, and he will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Bye. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing. And um, also, I'll take it a step further. At our house, we have the frozen curly fires in our freezer, and our kids put them in the air fryer for a snack. Um, so I feel you on the curly fries, and also feel you on the not wanting to ask for help. And I'm thankful that we do have this beautiful body of believers. And I know you can all look around at your tables and the people beside you and think, The Lord has given me these precious women and the men of our church. And to love one another and build one another up in vulnerability and asking for help is a beautiful way for us to show the world around us the gospel. So thank you for sharing, Hannah. That was beautiful. All right, y'all enjoy one another as long as you want. I mean, you know, within reason. And, um, And thank you.